0: Thank you, Mr. McMillan, for digging up that little piece of music, Uh, the theme to A Shot in the Dark, which we which we aired on this program a lot back uh, 10, 12 years ago, because it's a great little piece of music. It is Henry Mancini, and it is the theme to what is, I think, in my mind, without a doubt, the funniest of all of the Inspector Clouseau films. If you've never seen it, dear listener, you have a treat waiting for you. The movie does feature Bert Kwok playing Clouseau's faithful servant, Kato. Cluzo's boss, Inspector Dreyfus, is the always good Herbert Lom. But uh, for my money, the scenes between George Sanders and Peter Sellers uh, are, are, are the best. I believe Elkie Sommer, who uh, is the, the romantic lead in the picture, uh, later married Peter Sellers, much to her regret. But anyway, funny picture, and as you can tell from how we're starting this show, we're going to gonna take a little bit different, uh, different tack on today's program and, 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 and maybe steer away to some degree from the great weighty topics of the day. Well, that's not true. We're going we're gonna to do some weighty things. We're just not going to dwell on them too much. We're going to do some lightning round, I, I, I guess you could say, um, topics. We have a pile of things we want to talk about. Every week, we have a pile of things that we don't get to, and they pile up and pile up and pile up. So we're going to do what we can to debulk that pile a bit today and do something we mentioned a couple weeks ago in the program, uh, which is going back into our archives and plucking some of our favorite moments. And I think what we're planning to do today in our second segment is to go back and visit the, the chats we had with Gordon, Uncle John Javna, who put on this program three times. He is the prime moving force behind the Uncle John's Bathroom Reader series, which over the years we have quoted from extensively on this program because they're concise, they're accurate, and they're frequently hilarious. As Mr. Mullen points out, much like Radio Parallax itself. In addition to a, uh, well, listen, we've given some of our archival programs with intent to uh, to replace some of our more memorable moments. We've been combing through files that um, were amassed for this show. Some used, some not used. Here's one that we did use back in 2014 that I think is uh, very topical and worth recycling. There was an article then from the UK from their National Health Service noting that three-quarters of people with the flu have no symptoms. We thought that was worthy of mention eight years ago, and it's worthy of mentioning again today as we look at the fact that many people without symptoms are spreading COVID. In fact, that seems to be the main problem right now in uh, keeping the disease contained is you sit next to someone who has no symptoms, and uh, guess what? They've got the bug. Of course, one usually finds out about it because they do become symptomatic a day or two later. I know several people currently in that boat. Well, one person got exposed twice, a few days apart, and so far is testing negative. The other got exposed and got it. Anyway, to quote from this piece back in 2014, it noted that uh, people being asymptomatic is a a good news, bad news story. Good news in that so many people with a flu are spared the burden of a nasty infection. However, notes the piece, limiting the spread of a future pandemic could be challenging as it would be unclear who was infected. They are referring, in this case, to a future flu pandemic, but, um, well, it has other applications. The same certainly did turn out to be true with COVID. And in preparation for this program, of course, we try to read numerous uh, magazines and check things on the web. And the current edition of New Scientist came yesterday, and I'm looking at page 20 and shocked to see something that looks like a scene from a sci-fi movie. In fact, the sci-fi movie in particular I'm thinking of is the Steve McQueen feature the Blob. Now, I confess to never having seen The Blob, but Mr. McMillan <laughs> assures me that it's, it's pretty good. Well, when I was 10 years old, it was pretty good. Well, yeah, there you go. As I recall, the purveyors of the 50 worst films of all time uh, later gave it an honorable mention as one of the worst special effects ever because The Blob itself they described as resembling a large piece of carpet pulled up and draped over, uh, I guess, some poor minion that had to pretend he was this creature. Anyway, that was science fiction. Currently in Colombia, the polluted rivers near Bogota are creating a dangerous froth that is reportedly making people sick. And the picture of this just is, is something to behold. The picture shows a woman running down the street, and behind her, there are large piles, I'm talking like, you know, six feet high pieces of white foam looks like it blew off of your bathtub, assuming, of course, you take bubble baths. Anyway, a new scientist notes that tests on the foam show that it is largely cleaning products and this is a reflection of how bad things are in Colombia and apparently they're pretty bad. They note that oils from cooking and fertilizers from crops find their way into the rivers. Rubbish and dead animals are reportedly dumped in and although dumping waste is illegal, some businesses discard toxic materials at night. And here's some st- disturbing statistics if you're in- considering a trip down to Colombia. 60 to 70 percent of domestic wastewater goes straight into natural waterways untreated, with surfactants such as soaps, shampoos, and detergents becoming toxic organic compounds. Phosphates are a problem too with they Largely gotten rid of phosphates in, in America and in Europe. They, they make cleaning products more effective, but uh, well, they're hard to break down and they provide fertilizer to cause algal blooms. Anyway, yours truly has been to Columbia. I did not, uh, did not fare poorly from exposure to water, but then I didn't go swimming in any of the local rivers. And I suggest, dear listener, you do likewise. Mr. Rimmer, I would like to add that if you are walking on the street in Columbia and a large blob starts following you, you should run away. I'd have to agree. Do not try to engage the blob. You know, maybe we should contact KDVS, see if we can make a public service announcement related to this. Now, if you live in the Bay Area or ever passed through the Bay Area, we assume that you have, you may have noticed down near Moffat Field in Mountain View, the iconic blimp hangar that, uh, that is still standing down there. As I recall, if you climbed up on top of a building where I grew up and had a telescope, you could spy it across the bay. I guess this hangar was built in the 1930s to host dirigibles, which, which I guess are like blimps, only they have a uh, an actual rigid frame inside of them. Yes, yeah, so As I actually read the article, I note that the U.S. Navy completed what's called Hangar 1 in 1933. It was to serve as the home of the dirigible, the USS Macon, which unfortunately got damaged in a storm and was lost off of the Big Sur coast. Anyway, this hangar turns up in the news because it's being renovated. Well... I don't know, they're saying it's being restored. Well, actually, they're referring to a restoration, but it's not clear that it's going to be housing any dirigibles in the future, and evidently will not be. To quote from an article by George Alvalos in the East Bay News Group, the restoration of Hangar 1, a Silicon Valley icon that serves as a reminder of a bygone day, is kicking into high gear this month under a project being led by Google's Planetary Ventures Unit. And no, we don't know much about Google's Monetary Ventures unit. Apparently no one else does either. Exactly what the hulking structure visible from Highway 101 will be used for in the future remains to be seen, notes the article. The article notes that Hangar 1, located on the grounds of NASA's Ames Research Center and Moffett Federal Airfield in Mountain View, could, could be used for space, aviation, and tech research. But so far, Google has declined to say exactly how it plans to use the 90-year-old structure. Later in the article, it notes that in 2015, Google entered a $1.6 billion 60-year lease with NASA to take over the Moffat Field site, with plans to repurpose its three airship hangars as laboratories for developing robots, rovers, drones, internet-carrying balloons, and other cutting-edge technology. Anyway... This icon is reportedly one of the largest freestanding structures in the United States, and we hope they make good use of it. Now, last week, uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas decided to mouth off about the hubbub surrounding the leak of the Supreme Court draft opinion, which appears to be heading toward overturning Roe v. Wade. This got Carl Bernstein to tee off on the justice. Bernstein described the judge as rogue and disingenuous, words we wouldn't dispute. Speaking to the 11th Circuit Judicial Conference in Atlanta last week, Thomas said that Americans were becoming addicted to wanting particular outcomes in the court. And he said the court can't be bullied into giving you the outcomes you want. After this, Bernstein appeared on CNN and said, The wife of a Supreme Court justice doing what Ginny Thomas did is utterly unheard of in the history of the United States. Justice Thomas, talking about the legitimacy of institutions, whether the White House or the court itself, well, he should recuse himself, which he refuses to do from any case involving the President of the United States and the election. He added, This is a real failure of institutions, especially on the Supreme Court, by a rogue justice who would not say, I'm going to step aside. We would remind you that uh, the New York Times published a scathing report last month detailing Thomas's wife, Ginny, who was involved in the plot to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. She was actively texting former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, saying, help this great president stand firm, Mark. After that report serviced, Turns out Thomas was the lone objector in an election-related case where the January 6th committee was given access to documents in reference to the January 6th insurrection, which we would call the plot to overthrow the government of the United States. If you're keeping score, the Washington Post slash ABC News notes that 82% of Americans say abortion should be legal if a woman's health is in jeopardy, and 79% support abortion in cases of rape or incest. However, there seems to be an indication that uh, Judge Alito and Judge Thomas and the other three clowns appointed by Donald Trump don't seem to think that it is necessary to have any exceptions to a ban on abortion. I guess in this case, the Supreme Court justices are following the, the blazing trail led by Nicaragua, which some years back totally banned all abortions. Of course, you can't see why the justices might, might find Daniel Ortega and Nicaragua to be a source of inspiration. I have it on good authority that uh, Clarence Thomas used to regularly listen to the Rush Limbaugh program, and I believe actually married Rush on, on, on I don't know, whichever, whichever wife it was. He is, after all, a, a judge, just not necessarily a very good one. By the way, that opinion, like all the ones you hear in this program, does not necessarily represent those of anyone else besides, well, me, because Mr. Miller often disagrees with me. Although I keep trying to tell him, Sertz is a candy mint. Whereas he insists that CERTS is a breath mint. certs is two. Two. Two mints in one. And since we mentioned Nicaragua, let's take a little slight detour into the fact that the, uh, the Week reported a few months back in the wake of Daniel Ortega jailing his political opponents who, who wanted to run against him for president. Can you imagine? They quoted Fabian Medina in La Prensa, which is in Nicaragua, noting that the former Sandinista leader, who fought the Contra rebels in the 1980s, has always had authoritarian proclivities. But since installing his wife, Rosario Murillo, as vice president in 2017, he's been shockingly blatant in his crushing of our democratic institutions. And we cannot resist mentioning that in 2016, when he was uh, assured of securing the Republican nomination, Donald Trump proposed making his daughter the vice presidential candidate. And who knows? He may get another whack at this in 2024. Another similarity between Daniel Ortega and Donald Trump is that uh, the Nicaraguan dictator is cheering the war in Ukraine, admiring Vladimir Putin's instincts. Anyway, given the fact that most Americans do support abortion rights, unlike certain people in the Supreme Court, And by the way, I I believe that Alito is the only non-Catholic among the five people leaning toward overturning Roe v. Wade. The Catholic Church, of course, to this day, has a firm policy against not only abortion, but all contraception. We don't know that the Supreme Court justices would support the Pope as the next president, but frankly, we have to wonder at this point. Anyway, we're going to keep talking as the months uh, tick off here in the run-up toward the fall elections about um, how things are going there, Howard McKinney, who we had on the show a few weeks back, had a great quote related to all of this, in particular, related to the abortion issue and how the fact that most Americans do support the right to have an abortion under numerous circumstances, said Howard, regarding the Democrats and how they, they might, might use this to their advantage politically, said, well, you know, the Democrats, they never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. CNN did a poll last January noting that 69% of Americans said they opposed overturning Roe v. Wade, and 33% said that they'd be angry if it happened. Well, okay, we'll let anger translate into Democrats turning out to the polls to veto the Republican Party, which seems to be lining up uniformly against abortion. By the way, one of our alert listeners sent us a, a, a link to an article about, uh, Abortion in the 1970s, how it was that Christian fundamentalists that did not want to see their institutions become segregated decided to do a bait and switch and find another issue they could get people riled up about. So they decided to join the Catholic Church in stirring up opposition to abortion in this country. We would note, as reported on this program many years back, that Norma Covey, who was the, the Roe in Roe v. Wade, her identity at the time was kept secret. Later, came out against abortion and was was held up by various uh, Christian groups as someone who uh, had changed her mind. Although, shortly before she passed away, Covey admitted, Now, I was always in favor of abortion, never changed my mind. But they were paying me to say that, so I did. Nice. And uh, although we keep seeing headlines talking about how, well, Trump may have to face the music down in Georgia, he may may have to face the music in New York. Well, maybe not, because the DA has apparently decided that... uh, you know, maybe nothing, nothing wrong happened, even though his investigators said Trump is guilty of multiple felonies. So what is with our law enforcement officials and, 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 you know, and also the Democratic Party? We would look at both of them and say, what's up, guys? In fact, I really do have some questions about why it is charges against Trump are, are going forward so slowly. And I think, I think I'm going to put it directly right now to a, a spokesman for the Democratic National Committee. We have on the phone currently Mr. Red Pullet, who's a assemblyman from Rhode Island. Sir, do you plan to to ramp up your efforts to uh, to hold uh, Trump's feet to the fire? (laughs) Yeah, what about the fact that Trump evidently used a burner phone so there'd be no record of what he was doing on January 6th? Uh, Wouldn't you want to point that out to the public? How about some of you guys, uh, you know, going down to Georgia and investigating this matter of uh, Trump trying to drum up 11,000 extra votes? Well, thank you, Mr. Pollitt. We we hope you can bring you on again. All right, let's take a detour into the good, the bad, and the ugly. Apparently, a good week, a couple of weeks back, for rewriting the rewrites. After Google suspended use, I, I take Google taking taking a moment from its refurbishing of a dirigible hanger to suspend its use of an all-new inclusive language tool that steered Google Doc users away from words like policeman or mankind. It doesn't say whether they were, you know, favoring police person or person kind, but we assume so. The website Vice found that the tool objected to to both motherboard and landlord, and also attempted to revise a speech by Dr. Martin Luther King. We assume because he used the word Negro, but we're we're not sure. And it was a bad week for dog food products that contain not a speck of cereal. With the news that somebody over in the UK, that apparently with you know too much time on their hands, decided to test dog diets. They they tested out the difference between raw meat, or commercial dry products, well, I guess, and also canned commercial products, and vegan foodstuffs. Yes, apparently half the pups ate regular dog food, a third ate raw meat, and about one in eight got fed an exclusively vegan meal. Overall, notes the study, the conventional diet was ranked the worst for health outcomes. The raw meat eaters enjoyed marginally better health than the vegan hounds, but when the researchers were asked whether the dogs were happy on their vegan diet, the researchers say that in previous studies, they seemed just as content, said researcher Andrew Knight, and that's the best we can do, unless we figure out how to actually talk to dogs. Anyway, the, the photo accompanying this little blurb has a dog with a celery stick in its mouth, and I don't know, to my eye, he doesn't look very happy. Also, we're not aware of any data that associates whether the the people feeding the dogs. Vegan diets were bit more often. Well, Mr. McMillan, I certainly have our suspicions. And finally, we have what is surely an ugly week for communication. Mr. McMillan? Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! The story is that a couple weeks ago, the Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, failed to warn Washington, D.C. Capitol Police that a small plane would fly overhead so it could drop an Army parachute team onto the field of the Washington Nationals baseball game. As a result, alarmed police evacuated congressional staffers. All right, let's pull up some miscellaneous items related to health. Evidently, on April 28th, California's Attorney General Rob Bonta announced a major investigation into companies that manufacture plastics. This is the first of its kind in the nation. Bonta said that for 50 years, these companies have been engaged in potentially illegal business practices by misleadingly claiming that plastic products are recyclable, when in fact, most are not. Bonta said he issued subpoenas to ExxonMobil Yes, that company which featured so prominently in our discussion recently of the uh, front-line special, The Power of Big Oil, a topic I hope we'll have a little more to say about in the future. Evidently, uh, other companies are likely to follow the subpoena to ExxonMobil. Bonta has said that the nation's growing plastics pollution problem is particularly keen out in the ocean, obviously, which is littered by trillions of tiny pieces of plastic notes that the companies are legally liable for this and they should be ordered to address the matter. Saying, quote, In California and across the globe, we're seeing the catastrophic results of the fossil fuel industry's decades-long campaign of deception. Plastic pollution is seeping into our waterways, poisoning our environment, and blighting our landscapes. Enough is enough. The companies could be liable under a California law that prohibits fraudulent claims by industry, also unfair business practices, also environmental pollution. It should be noted that only 9% of the plastic sold every year in the United States is recycled, according to the EPA. Now, in this article, which appears in uh, the East Bay Times, it's noted that spokespeople for the American Chemistry Council, a trade association that includes Dow, DuPont, 3M, and ExxonMobil, is a a notion that all plastic packaging in the US include at least 30% recycled plastic by 2030. Last year, Gavin Newsom signed a state law requiring 25% by 2025 and 50%, 50% by 2030. Peace also quotes a Mark Murray, executive director of the Californians Against Waste organization saying, Since I began working in this area 35 years ago, the industry has been promising that plastic recycling was right around the corner. With one exception, PET plastic, or PET, used in bottles, no other type of plastic is being recycled in any meaningful amount. At his news conference back on April 28th at Dock Wheeler State Beach in L.A., Attorney General Bonta cited recent news investigations, including one by NPR and PBS's Frontline, that showed plastic companies knew since the 1970s that some types of plastics were not economically viable to recycle, but made the claims anyway to avoid pollution laws. Bonta said it was all a big ruse. The big oil executives knew the truth. The truth is the vast majority of plastic cannot be recycled. The truth is the recycling rate has never surpassed 9%. The truth is the vast majority of plastic products by design, by design, cannot be recycled. 91% end up in landfills or are burned or are released into the environment. We hope this will stir things up in a good way. Here's something else we can hope for. The fact that transplants of immune cells that target Epstein-Barr viruses have shown promise for treating multiple sclerosis. MS is caused by someone's own immune system attacking the myelin coating that helps nerve cells conduct signals. This has long been associated with the Epstein-Barr virus, and researchers have now taken T cells that seek out and destroy cells infected with the Epstein-Barr virus, and with with some good results. Now, a lot of us, a lot of us have had Epstein-Barr. If you've had mononucleosis, you did. But most of us don't progress to having symptoms of multiple sclerosis. And among people who get MS, some of them do not get the the, the most dangerous kind, which wherein symptoms get progressively worse with no relapse. Let's hope this pans out. And finally, the current edition of New Scientist has a cover story that that yours truly finds especially interesting. If you're cutting up human bodies, which is something that medical students uh, are required to do, you will encounter fascia, a... Generally ignored tissue in the body, which generally wraps around body parts like a bandage. That's how it was described by the 19th century anatomist Erasmus Wilson. When you're doing your dissecting, you're going to find that, well, it, it looks like that. It's sheets of white, fibrous connective tissue, strong yet flexible. Perfect, it's said, for keeping muscle and organs in place. Fascia is also sticky, gloopy, and gets in the way of looking at muscles, bones, and the organs they cover which explains why for years anatomists cut the tissue off, chucked it away, and thought little more about it. Notes the New Scientist article by Caroline Williams. Recently, researchers have begun to take a fresh look at fascia and are finding that it is anything but an inert wrapping. Instead, it is a site of biological activity that explains some of the links between lifestyle and health. It may even be a new type of sensory organ. Remarkably, notes the article, until the early 2000s, no one had studied this common tissue in detail. The orthopedic surgeon who began to take a look at fascia discovered there wasn't even a body of literature explaining in detail what fascia was. It wasn't even known, but it had nerves associated with it. Since then, she and others have shown that fascia is indeed rich in nerves, which could explain some health conditions such as fibromyalgia which some studies have linked to inflammation in fascia. might also explain post-exercise soreness, which has long been blamed on damage to muscles, but which some researchers now think has more to do with injury or inflammation to the fascia. And here's the jackpot. This could help explain why lower back pain is so difficult to treat. Despite being one of the most common causes of work absence and overall movement restriction, 85% of cases worldwide are classified as nonspecific, meaning the exact cause can't be established. But here's the good news. It turns out if you can stretch the back or other, low, other pieces of fascia that are of concern, this seems to be very helpful in reducing soreness. Coincidentally, my neighbor has a tilt table, which I think has various names. You can lay back on this lever and, and tilt backwards so you're sort of upside down. My neighbor didn't have a place for it, so he brought it over and plopped it in my yard. This was several days ago. He and I have climbed onto it uh, several times since then, tilted it backwards and see what happens. And what we both think happens is that our back issues get better. Mr. Millen jumps at this point and says he has one. He's had it for five years. He swears by it for the treatment of low back pain. All right, let's, let's take a short break and come back and explore the world of the Uncle John's Bathroom Reader. Partly with excerpts from it, and uh, and a renewal of our our chats with the purveyor of these books, Gordon Uncle John Jabna himself. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Hold on, hold on. Got lots coming. <music>